0: it will essentially show you a visualization of how your application behaves. So you can think of all these components, users, services, Lambda functions, interacting with with everything, like visually see how the requests flow through the application. And let's say, if you have a set of errors that that start somewhere in a Lambda function in the database, what it will show you is, it looks like this is the source of your problems. It started happening, let's say five minutes ago. And this is the way it's been propagating all the way to your users, right?
1: Cockroach DB is the only bug you'll ever love because it's the only one you don't have to worry about. As a low-touch SQL database that automatically handles scale, operations, and uptime, Cockroach DB lets you focus on developing. Get your free cluster and a free T-shirt at cockroachlabs.com/slash-stackoverflow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. Joined as always by my wonderful co-host. Paul Ford, CEO and co-founder of Postlight. Hey, here we are. We're doing it again. Doing it again, Paul. So I went to the dog park this week up here in the Hudson Valley. Mm. I met somebody from GitHub. They're working on a product. It's aimed at developers. He's going to come on the podcast. It's going to be my first human networking interaction and human to human podcast recording since the pandemic began I'm very oh,
2: excited. Pandem- it's it's all it's all opening up. It's a shocker that someone at GitHub is working on a product for developers. But, you know,
1: and I know, it was weird. What? It was weird.
2: You got to just got to roll with it. Got to see what happens. <laughs> that sounds really good. You know, we have an exciting guest on here today because
1: Ben, you you've used apps. Absolutely. I am apping all day every day. Roblox me too. 24/7, me and the kids.
2: And I'll, I'll tell you, something about apps that's really fascinating is that no one knows what the hell is happening in there black box. Terrifying, terrifying. It It could could be anything. And so a whole section of our tech economy that frankly, on this podcast, we tend not to talk about exists just to tell you what the hell is happening inside of your stuff.
1: So this is a little bit different than maybe a guess we've had like Tom Lumichelli to talk about site reliability engineering, like SRE is making sure it's all running and working. And if it breaks, but they're not telling you, hey, X is happening, Y is happening. This is getting overheated. Well, it's part this of it. This is going to the left. It's part of it. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, So who do we have today?
1: Today, as our guest, we have Spiros Xanthos. I hope I said that right. He's joining us from Splunk. Splunk! Yeah, Splunk, where he is the VP of Product Management. Welcome, Spiros.
0: Glad to be on. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I guess for people who don't know, let's step back for a second and define from a high level, what is observability or observability in IT ops? And how is that unique from other disciplines? Well,
2: and also, what is
0: Splunk? I mean, we we know the
2: banner ads, but what is the company? So,
0: tell us, <laughs> tell us, Spiros. Splunk is Splunk is an enterprise software company, right? It started as a tool to collect machine data, analyze it. Although it's a very it started and was and is a very simple tool, it's extremely powerful because it can really it's really flexible and you connect any type of machine data, which you can then use to monitor for security or investigate incidents or IT or for developers, right? So Splunk has been around for a while, and uh, we recently expanded into observability. Actually, the way I ended up at Splunk is because they acquired my company. So before Splunk, I started this company called Omniscient, which uh, is an observability company, which I'm going to define in a minute, right? And uh, Splunk decided to acquire us to, to expand into this space alongside five other companies, actually, in the last two years. So what is observability? Observability actually comes from control theory, which is not a software term, and generally means this: the ability to kind of reason and understand the state of a system by just looking at its outputs. Now, as you can imagine, when we're talking about applications or infrastructure on the cloud, we really, as developers and SREs, try to do the same thing. So all we have is, are the outputs of those applications, usually in the forms of what we call telemetry, logs, metrics, traces. And by capturing all that data, try to understand what the application is doing, right? So in the scenario that we have a failure or a degradation of the service, to try to understand where this is coming from, so we can, let's say, prevent it and uh, not end up having like a downtime.
1: Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. So just to back up, you said that term doesn't come from software. So that is more from the, you know, older world of hardware. I might be a, a flight engineer on a rocket ship or a, a, an airplane, and there are certain, you know, degrees of robustness and reliability and redundancy I need. And so this is a technique for making sure if something's going wrong, if there's an engine failure, I can figure out why.
0: I guess it's more about understanding the state, the internal state of the system by looking at the its outputs, mm-hmm. as I said, right? That, of course, coupled with redundancy. And I guess failover techniques is probably how we've been uh, flying planes all these years. Is there more of a need for
2: this now? Because, I mean, clouds are black boxes, right? Like we don't know what's inside of a lot of our, our cloud services and you're not allowed it. They've abstracted out quite a bit. They'll give you the logs and the reporting that, that they've decided, right? So is that, is that why there's more demand for this kind of approach to understanding what's happening in your systems? Or has it always been there and, and, and this is just a, a new approach or an old approach? or Why does this matter now?
0: Yes, so uh, maybe I'll give you a bit of history of like monitoring tools for infrastructure applications, all of the above, right? By the way, I've been working in this for a long time. Um, I started my first company, which was a log analysis company like Splunk in 2007. So I've seen the evolution of the industry myself. Of course, it predates me quite a bit as well. But let's say generally with the introduction of maybe virtualization in the early 2000s, right? So move from Mm -hmm. physical hardware to, let's say, software running our infrastructure and applications. But still, most of that was actually rather simple, right? Maybe my application was a monolithic application running as a single service, connected to a database, and uh, that was, let's say, serving uh, the needs of my customers, right? So the software that I had to use, let's say, to monitor the software, my monitoring software, was rather simple itself as well, right? All I had to do is understand what maybe was happening within this single application the underlying infrastructure was fairly static VMs did not come and go as as much so everything was simple and like straightforward now as we have been moving to the cloud and there is of course a whole journey that is happening there right moving to the cloud maybe means that I take these applications and instead of running them in my data center I run them on uh, on the cloud like AWS Google Cloud or etc but really these may these days means that I'm probably re-architecting those applications or maybe I'm, I'm building new applications that usually are built as distributed systems, what we call microservice-based applications. So instead of having a single application, I might have multiple services interacting with each other to serve the needs of my customers. And now these applications often run on ephemeral infrastructure, right? We don't run on physical hardware or VMs anymore. We usually run on containers, which come and go dynamically, oftentimes multiple times a day or an hour, right? So you end up in this situation where instead of having a simple application, you have like a whole collection of services working with each other, running on dynamic infrastructure. So things that change very, very often and are fairly complex. So this results, many benefits of course, right? Dynamic, better velocity for developers. These systems can be developed independently, released multiple times a day, all desirable things for for all of us, let's say. But when something goes wrong, it becomes like a murder mystery, right? It's it's very, very, very hard to troubleshoot problems in these kind of environments. And in practice, talking about the life of an SRE or a developer on call, when something goes wrong, multiple people have to jump on a, what we call usually a war room and try to like figure out where the problem might be coming from, right, fairly complex. So with the evolution essentially of the application and the cloud, the tools that we use to, to monitor these applications have to evolve at the same pace, let's say, or faster, because otherwise, you know we cannot really really monitor and uh, maintain these applications. So essentially, observability, I should say, is the evolution of all these monitoring and troubleshooting tools in trying to keep up with with the complexity of the applications and the infrastructure. Right? I mean, at the high level, that's what it is. There are the specifics I can I can describe in more detail, but you know, this is the high level idea of why we need observability these days.
2: So actually, one of the one of the ways I think you could help me and help our audience. Everybody listening to this, I, I'm going to bet understands. You know the, the basics of logging and adding hooks to apps and talking. Most people at this point talk to a service like Splunk or to one of the analytics platforms as they're doing anything. So, what I'd love you to talk about is a little bit because you know I thought we were. I always think more about front end and and how you sort of instrument applications in order to understand how they're doing. And you're talking more about sort of instrumenting and understanding what's happening across a cloud platform. like How do you differentiate those in your mind? How would you, how do you log analyze and make front ends observable versus
0: cloud platforms?
2: Or is that even a sensible question? You, you tell me.
0: It, it is, at the end of the day, the only reason really we, we wanna instrument and monitor applications is to serve our users better, right? whoever the users might be, right? We might be talking about an enterprise application with few users. We might be talking about the consumer applications, maybe with thousands or millions of users. At the end of the day, we want to understand what's going on, What? How, how well are we serving them, right? Now, we might have tools like, let's say Google Analytics, that mostly help us understand the behavior of those users. Now, when something goes wrong, we're completely out of luck, right? It's not like Google Analytics is going to tell you where the problem is coming from. It might help you understand the behavior of your users on your website, but really, that's when you're transitioning, let's say, maybe from analytics for understanding the behavior to analytics in understanding the application itself, right? So that's where it all starts. In reality, in the past, as you said, maybe I had some logs, something went wrong. I would look through logs. I would try to search and figure out, like, use grep or maybe like something like Splunk to figure out what's what's happening. And maybe this was sufficient. Actually, these days, given the complexity described, really, you need to have multiple things in place to monitor the entire stack, right? Usually a request starts from a browser or a mobile app. It flows through a set of backend services that usually run on some cloud infrastructure. They probably interact with some cloud services provided by the cloud provider. So you have to be able to trace all of this end-to-end, right? And kind of the telemetry we use to do that is usually logs, like we always did, but probably we need metrics as well, metrics-based monitoring, because we need to do this in real time. And uh, tracing kind of is the new trend that I think completes observability, which is, I mean, if you have the term APM, application performance monitoring, that's kind of the old school way of doing it. The, the modern way of doing it is through distributed tracing right. that can help you trace distributed systems.
1: So for people who don't know, can we just define those quickly? What what are logs and what is tracing? And you mentioned one in the middle. Just uh, quickly, each each one of those key ingredients.
0: Yes, logs are unstructured data that typically uh, developers add uh, when they built an application so that they can later troubleshoot what's happening, right? It could be like totally unstructured data with maybe some structure, but generally speaking, fairly unstructured. And logs are emitted from the application, from infrastructure, from network devices. That has been the standard way of actually troubleshooting systems, let's say, for the last maybe 30 years or longer. Metrics is this idea that instead of emitting totally unstructured data, I can emit a measure, let's say, right? Let's say a request arrives, I start measuring how long it took for me to respond, and I emit that metric. Now, as a single measure, it's not that useful, but when I start aggregating across all my requests, let's say, now I suddenly have a very, very good understanding of how quickly do I reply, right? So that's kind of what we call a metric. And uh, a trace, or a distributed trace, is this idea that when a request arrives to my application, let's say at my front end, I assign a unique ID to it, and then as, the let's say, that request flows through my backend services, third-party services, I actually propagate that unique ID, so in the end, I get a, a very structured log, right? A way to essentially understand exactly how that request was served and all the systems that it had to traverse until it came back to the user, right? So this gives you a very good understanding for every request, how exactly has it been served? And again, it might be useful to trace one single request, but in reality, what is much more useful is when I start putting all of these together in aggregate and I can see how my application now behaves, as a whole,
2: let me take us in a different path because you told us earlier you've been doing this for a while. And while we were talking, I looked up your LinkedIn page and you have been doing this for a while. And here's my <laughs> question How are you still in business? Weren't we supposed to have fixed this by now? Shouldn't it all be working? My God, why are we instrumenting everything in our cloud services to find out what's breaking all the time? It, it's,
0: at what point are you finally out of business? Uh, (laughs) I think never, but because I think what what has been happening is what I described, right? Step function improvement in complexity, step function improvement, let's say, in the uh, tooling that we use to actually deal with this complexity. And I think this is going to continue. Now, I should say that we've been talking about AI ops, let's say, right? Like uh, machine learning based troubleshooting and like uh, uh, fixing of problems in systems uh, like the ones we were discussing. But uh, it's not a reality yet, actually, and might not be a reality for a while. Now, the reason for that is because, let's say, the signal-to-noise ratio in the type of data I'm describing, like telemetry, is pretty bad. So it's very, very difficult for a system to kind of have, let's say, a good enough accuracy so that we can trust it to take action for us when it comes to, to our applications. Now, the one thing that has happened, though, in the last maybe three, four years that is actually important is that... We have actually open standards that have emerged. One of them is OpenTelemetry, which we're quite involved, actually, as a company. And my own startup was one of the co-creators of it. So if, you, if I may, I want to introduce OpenTelemetry, which is like... A, which no,
2: do. That, that's, that's great. I'd like to know more about it. Great.
0: It's a CNCF project. CNCF is the foundation that started Kubernetes and many other actually cloud-native uh, popular technologies these days. So OpenTelemetry is the second most popular in terms of activity uh, project in CNCF, only second to Kubernetes. And uh, what it tries to do is standardize the way we instrument applications and collect this data. By standardizing, I mean, let's agree on standards, how we describe this data and how we emit it, right? And then we have an open source implementation as well that can do that. So what this now enables is actually structuring the data at the source. So you can collect metrics, traces, and logs like I described earlier, but do it in a way that is vendor neutral, right? So it's not like this Planck-specific way, right? Or some other vendor-specific way. As a result, because we now have this data fully structured and we can all understand what they mean and we can fully connect them, actually the signal-to-noise ratio dramatically improves, right? So not only we can essentially have this agreed-upon standard that benefits the users because they, they own their data, but I think we can build actually tools that uh, can provide much more effective analytics, exactly because the data is now structured, and we can make more sense out of them.
1: Mm. So, Spiros, you've been talking about this, and it makes me think of you know performance, you know avoiding issues that might frustrate uh, you know consumers and users of a service. But another big piece of this, I guess, is security and cybersecurity. So, can you talk to me a little bit about how this kind of observability or monitoring plays
0: into that world? Yes. Again, in the past security and IT, let's say, have been fairly different disciplines, right? You had the chief security officer and a bunch of analysts working about what we call SecOps, security operations. You had the CIO, maybe, and uh, their team worried about IT ops. And developers actually were a completely separate team that uh, built applications and threw them over the wall for for somebody in IT to run and for somebody in SecOps, let's say, to, to make sure they're secure. But actually, as we move to the cloud, all of these disciplines come together. Definitely mm-hmm. IT ops and developers, DevOps, right? So developers yep. build their applications, they have to run them uh, as well, right? Beyond call and all of that. But in reality, I think security is coming a lot closer to this as well, right? Because what happens is you cannot really be have a secure application unless you follow a similar kind of approach like the one we're describing about vulnerability, right? So you have to make sure during build time, you're not introducing any dependency that might uh, introduce a vulnerability into your system, and at runtime, you have to continuously monitor and collect for incidents and for things that might go wrong from a security perspective. So really, the same kind of tooling that we use to, let's say, reason for the state of the system in terms of availability and performance is actually quite similar to what we use these days for security. So in some sense, mm. this discipline emerges and we have what we call now DevSecOps, right, which is kind of the combination of, of all of the above. <laughs> Well, what about ML ops? Can we just... I want to squeeze one. No, at least don't, one do more it, thing <laughs>
2: don't do it, Ben. Don't do it, Ben. It's it has to happen on its own. So you said something that is incredibly accurate, which is developers tend to throw these over the wall. At which point, the telemetry becomes somebody else's problem, and that that is no longer the case. Like this is the world we live in. Everybody is responsible. How do and we we've also got security coming closer. So help people learn. Here I am today. I, I write my JavaScript front end code and I write my web apps. And sometimes I do some orchestration of cloud services in AWS or Google Cloud. And, and you know, I've got a, a lot of things over here in S3, and I've got a I've got a bunch of Lambda functions. I've glued that together. I've shipped my code. Now something's breaking, or now the client is asking for more information and so on and so forth. Put me on a path, not just to like spackles some API calls in, but put me on a path where in the next year I'm going to be doing this right. I'm going to be fully engaged with open telemetry. I'm going to be thinking harder about security. And this is going to be part of my deploy, part of my build, part of the conversation and part of code review. So, you know, you get a typical engineering team and you get to talk to them and tell them what they need to do over the next year. What would you tell them? Where should they start?
0: So I guess I should say that I think a failure of our industry is my failure given how long I've been doing this as well? Is that we we haven't built actually tools that are easy enough, right, for for everyone to adopt. Now you always have the expert developer, let's say, that knows tooling deeply to go like troubleshoot the performance of an application, right, when something goes wrong. But generally speaking, the tools we have built for monitoring and troubleshooting have been not easy for somebody to to learn, let's say, right. So mm-hmm. I think another thing that is happening maybe alongside the observability trend, is that we're actually now, I think, started building tooling that is more approachable, right? If I'm a new user, I can actually, the tool itself can probably describe to me what the application does, so I don't have to become an expert on the tool. I can just maybe intuitively understand what's going on. So anyway, I think that's happening, and I think that's going to make, generally, it's going to make our life easier as developers.
2: Take the opportunity to pitch. Like there, I'm sure there, there you've got some things inside of Splunk, inside of inside of your part of Splunk that that help people? Where should they look?
0: Sure, so actually I would start by saying that if you're trying to uh, implement observability or better monitoring, I think open telemetry is a great place for everybody to start as a way of instrumenting and emitting telemetry out of your application and infrastructure. It is pretty much supported by every vendor out there. It has many open source backends that also support this. So you can implement your own complete monitoring end-to-end using just open source if that's what you desire to do. And, or if you want to use a commercial vendor, you can still send the data there. One of them is Planck is Observability, right? So I would recommend that this makes sense for every developer and even every executive, let's say, out there, because that gives them a lot more control and decouples them from a specific vendor implementation.
2: I think we should emphasize this for people. So Open Telemetry is both the client and also the API server, right? So you could set up your own... Is that correct? Like, I could set up my own Go API and I could collect my own statistics that way, or... So I'm not dependent on any particular commercial vendor if I don't want to be.
0: Yeah, I'll make it. I'll give you the specifics. So OpenTelemetry is a set of standards, let's say, that define what we can collect and how it looks. And then there's an implementation. The implementation includes components that go inside your application to emit that telemetry. And it includes, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, a data collector as well that can collect and transmit that out. Now, OpenTelemetry stops there, right? It doesn't try to be an analysis tool. It just tries to be a, a data instrumentation and collection tool. But there are open source backends that accept this data today. Something like Prometheus, let's say, for metrics.
2: So I asked I asked you to pitch Splunk, and you, you, you <laughs> no, did I'll, exactly the opposite, which is great. But,
0: but
1: I'll tell you actually what we do, right? So, Paul asked to pitch, and they said, wait, stop. Just tell me about the open source alternative. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I yeah. know,
2: that's true. I, I, I derailed. <laughs> but no, I'm trying to understand. I love a good open standard. It makes me feel safe and in control, just like everyone else in the industry. So it's really good to learn about that. Like right. That way, you're not completely locked in for the rest of your life if you want to use these tools.
0: So back to Splunk. Yes. Yeah, so, so to tell you a bit about, about Splunk, right? So first of all, given that we're co- trying to democratize data instrumentation and collection via open source and open standards approaches, so we put all our effort in actually the analytics of what you do once you have this data, right? Generally speaking, for most companies, after a certain scale, it doesn't make sense to be in the observability business, right? Yes, you can do this with open source or you can try to build your own tooling, but generally it doesn't make sense, right? It's not. It's a hard problem. And it shouldn't be your priority, right? Ideally, you won't spend your time building uh, you know, something for, for your specific business. So what Splunk has done is build what we call this observability cloud, which is a, a combination of a bunch of, let's say, products. We can collect metrics, traces, and logs into a single application. That application can be used to monitor your infrastructure, your application, all the way to your end users, and even perform like incident response, like ping you if you're on call all of that in a single user interface. And uh, I guess the, the value it, it provides is that it's fairly intuitive <laughs> to my earlier point. And also um, with huge emphasis on analytics, right? Trying to, generally speaking, all of these tools are giving you a bunch of data. And the way you use the data is you study a hypothesis based on your own knowledge of the system or the application you're troubleshooting. And you use then the tool to kind of validate or invalidate your hypothesis, which is a very time consuming and not pleasant approach. What we try to do is push maybe the industry a bit forward by trying to essentially connect the data a bit better so you don't always have to state the hypothesis, but the tool tries to now guide you to where the problem might be coming from, right? I see
1: here on your site, you know, some stuff around cybersecurity, observability, IT operations, It's everything we just talked about. But it sounds like, right, now you're getting to the place uh, that Paul and I love, which is that once you can do any one thing, you can do everything. So it says everything, unlock the power of data. So you're saying... Once you start doing all this monitoring and metrics and analysis, and you're looking at multiple customers, you're going to start giving people basically you know, advice about how to optimize or transform or improve their system, their security that's outside of the day-to-day operations.
0: Maybe I should say this, right? Like I think actually once observability tooling properly implemented, observability tooling in the sense of like having metrics, traces, and logs fully connected, being able to collect all of it, what we call full fidelity... It kind of looks a bit like magic, at least compared to the prior generation tools, right? Because effectively what that does, it gives you, in my mind, a mirror image of your application infrastructure inside, let's say, a SaaS environment, and then you can actually start reasoning about your application by looking at this, let's say, (laughs) mirror image of it inside the tool, right? Which is very, very powerful, as opposed to, let's say, having very partial data and signals in the past and trying to connect the dots in your mind. So that's what we try to do, or at least that's what our ambition is uh, as a company, right? How well we do it? I guess our users probably can.
2: Just let's make up, um, I don't know, I, I've got a bunch of Lambda functions. I've got some logging built in. I've got a front end. I've got a React Native app that I've deployed to 50,000 people. Something is broken. I don't know what. Some, but suddenly the data is not getting pulled out or an S, something. something's not happening. A database call that I was expecting to have happen uh, isn't happening. Walk me through... Like using these tools, the old way I would do it is I kind of look at things, I'd put a lot of print statements in, I'd look at my log files, I'd use, you know, where are things breaking? How does that change? Walk me through what the process feels like now if you're using this approach.
0: So, yes, in the example you described, I probably have, as you you said, some Lambda functions. I probably have some maybe VMs running part of my application. I have some users interacting with the system let's say I know that something is wrong because uh, I see that uh, some either some of our users are complaining or I myself noticed that my requests, let's say, I, I return back, let's say, errors or lower, uh, let's say, higher latency uh, requests, right? So usually what happens is, instead of having to like shift through logs to try to find an error or something like this, like something like Splunk observability, what it would show you is it would essentially show you a visualization of how your application behaves. So you can think of all these components, users, services, Lambda functions interacting w- with everything, like visually see how the requests flow through the application. And let's say, if you have a set of errors that, that start somewhere in a Lambda function in the database, what it will show you is, it looks like this is the source of your problems. It started happening, let's say five minutes ago, and this is the way it's been propagating all the way to the, your users, right? And now let's say that you maybe have helped you isolate the source of these problems, let's say to a particular service or a, a Lambda function, The next step usually users take is start kind of interrogating that part of the application, right? For example, Mm -hmm. say, oh, it's coming from, let's say, service A. Let me see where service is is running, right? Show me all the containers where it's running. Is every container actually erroring or is a particular part of my infrastructure causing it, right? Oh, maybe it's not that. Maybe I need to start looking at the types of database calls I make, right? Is there a specific database call that's failing? So then it becomes like this iterative visual kind of process where essentially the system guides me to find where the problem is coming from.
2: It's finding, it's aggregating the data so that patterns become more visible. And then I'm able to kind of get in there and start looking through those aggregations and understanding kind of of sort of where things are separating from what I would expect. It's I I can see where things differentiate from the norm.
0: It's a perfect description, right? Because I might have let's say, each one of these statements in my log, but then it's up to me to kind of aggregate in my head what's happening, right? What this tool is trying to do is put it all together and in a way that is also intuitive, right? Because having the aggregated data by itself is not sufficient. It's a question of how do you also visualize and present it back so that it makes sense to the user.
1: Spiros, we we talked about a lot of this on the software side. Is there also a hardware component to this? I mean, it gets so complex once we enter into the world of smart devices and connected devices. I know a lot of security threats these days come from things that in the past would not have been a vector. That could be your smart toaster or your fridge or the printer at the you know giant oil company that runs a pipeline. Do you also look at signals like that
0: or are you purely on the software side? I mean, it's, it's their software as well, right? Because usually all the devices run an operating system and that's probably where we right. start. Uh, in our case, in our, our users, it's usually mobile devices that start the request, mm-hmm. and that's probably the most right. uh, maybe relevant part of hardware that we're looking. But yes, all of the yep. above is relevant.
1: Yeah, because I was just wondering, like, let's say you know we have a, a a big service that's deployed to millions and it's live, Fortnite or something like that. You know, they might be playing it on a mobile device, they might also be playing it on an Xbox. They in the near future they'll probably be able to play it on their refrigerator, and maybe you know it's something within one of those devices that's causing you know this buildup, this issue and if there's a way for you to be able to see that as well.
0: Correct, correct. Right. Let's say I'm, uh, I have a consumer application that is served through mobile devices, right? Through a mobile app. There's probably a lot of backend services that serve that application, but really what I need to understand is if my users, let's say, are not getting the type of service I want, like either they, they face errors or like uh, it's, it's slow. First of all, I need to troubleshoot the mobile device itself, understand what's going on there. And if that's not the right. problem, I understand why maybe my backend APIs are slow, right? And once I go to the API, then I need to drill through and understand all the way to backend databases where the problem might be coming mm-hmm. from, right? And in some sense, security has similar kind of challenges uh, in a such a right. distributed environment.
2: What's wild to me out of all this, where my brain keeps going, is you can build a viable and good career in logging, right? Like I don't, I don't, <laughs> people don't talk about that very much. They do talk about security. You know, and DevOps is more and more of a, of an option. But, like, you're right. There's no way this is going away. Aggregating and understanding this data and exploring these patterns in an interactive way so that you can figure out system complexity is going to be part of a, of a tech career for the rest of everyone's life. So now I have to go think and reevaluate and re- every decision <laughs> I've made and decide if I should be investing more time understanding logging.
1: So Spiros, if a person is listening to this and maybe they... Want to change careers, or they're still in school. They're thinking about this. What would you recommend to somebody who wants to learn more about this subject, or maybe uh, you know find a way uh, into, as Paul said, a career in logging? They're looking. They're looking to get into life
0: logging. I mean, it depends. Like, if somebody's is a developer, obviously all of this is relevant, and uh, you're going to be a better developer if you're, I guess, up to speed with what's happening in observability. But if somebody is, let's say, maybe not a developer, if you're a developer, you have too many options anyway, right? But in reality, (laughs) if somebody is not as technical as in able to write software, right? I think like actually being an expert in logging or tools like Splunk can actually get you a very good high paying career because there is a huge shortage of professionals, let's say, who can do these types of things. And you can get a certification. You can actually get started on your own and learn it. So right. I, I, do th- I do think actually it's a great opportunity, not just for developers who in some sense have great opportunities regardless, but even for people who might not have the ability to write software, but right. still can become SREs or like uh, IT admins.
2: You know, when you're in a band, it's, always better in my opinion to play bass than to be the vocalist or guitarist because like everybody needs a bass player there's never enough right you just it's you can if if this band doesn't work out you can go play bass in another band and i think about this with my kids because they're they're into computers and i'm like what am i going to advise them and i'm like Well, Salesforce Apex programming is a good career, right? Like, there's there's all these very specific things, and I've just added this kind of, you know, observability, log analysis, and systems for large scale analysis. It's absolutely you're. I'm convinced that this is the way of the future, and uh, I'm. This is all I'm going to be thinking
1: about as as we go forward. All right, so Beerus, at the end of every episode, I shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge. Um, That's somebody who came on to Stack Overflow, and they gave an answer to a question that had a score of negative three or less, and uh, with their answer, the question got up to a score of 20 or more. So, awarded five hours ago to Willie Menzel, round double to one decimal place in Kotlin from 0.04999999 to 0.1. We can help you with that rounding if you need it. We'll put it in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And you can always email us podcast at stackoverflow.com with suggestions or questions. If you like to show, please do leave a rating and a review it really helps.
2: I'm Paul Ford. I am a friend of Stack Overflow. My company, Postlight, is a wonderful place to work. Check us out on online and also online on the internet, and uh, also <laughs> on on Stack. We are uh, we're a nice listed company over there on on Stack.
1: Overflow. Yeah, check out the job. Yeah, check out the, the company page.
2: Yeah, we we'd love you to do that. That's it. That's all you got to know about me.
0: Okay, Spiros, who are you, and uh, where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? So uh, Spiros Xanthos, I'm a VP of uh, product management for observability and I work for Splunk and we also have uh, many career opportunities. You can check out our website. All right,
1: Spiros. Well, thanks so much for coming on. We're glad uh, to have you. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go down and check the logs before I start this fire tonight because see, you can see what I did there, Paul. That was a country joke. <laughs>